glasses up the bridge of my nose. <laughs> wow. Oh, my. hey, guys. Hey. Hey. Wow. I don't know about you guys, but I'm tired. Mm, yeah, me too. I'm ready to party. Oh, my gosh. I'll, I'll keep the energy alive for all of our listeners there out we there. Go. I'm sorry, everybody. <laughs> Sounds like a plan, man. Uh, How are you guys doing? I mean, I'm tired, but. Yeah, that's how millennials say hello, though. I'm so tired. Oh, my God. I'm so tired. <laughs> <laughs> James, are you a millennial? Yeah. Oh, maybe not. I was about to say, wait a minute, yeah, James. Broke character there for a minute. <laughs> <laughs> oh, anyways, well, listener, thank you so much for joining us today on this beautiful episode of the 13th Floor Podcast. It's gorgeous. Yeah. yeah. it's It's been so nice outside. Yeah. It's just, it's raising my spirits. I've just been in a really good, I'm tired, but I've been in such a good mood lately. Yeah. Probably because... Our trees are starting to bloom out front. Yeah. yeah some nice. nice greenery. James, what have you been up to? I feel like you've been up to some special things. Uh, I got a snake plant from my office. <laughs> that's about it, that's, really. <laughs> well, that's that's a nice, exciting little thing. Maybe you could take a picture and post it on the 13th floor Instagram. Because <laughs> oh, I know man. everyone would love to see a picture of James's snake plant. Mm, yeah. James, does your snake plant need a name? Because maybe our Patreon's... <laughs> 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 just oh, kidding. We'll just slowly name every item around James's yeah. house. Yeah, we've we've named enough. Um, mm. But phew, I I think that I'm excited for today's episode. We're going to be talking about the Vatican books, yeah. and this subject was submitted to us by our dear listener Dee Dee. So Dee Dee, thank you so much for sending that topic in. It's been fun. It's been, been fun. Yeah. And what a read. Talking about topics, Alex, give me the the vase. Give me the vase. Oh, okay. I'm gonna give it a little swirl just so that everybody can hear all these topics we got waiting to be. There's uh, at least discussed. I don't know how many. There's probably like third, four, fifty, fifty. You think? How There's, many do you think? Alex, will you hand me that vase over there? So you guys, you guys just heard the regular vase. Here's the sound of our elite vase. In case you can't tell the difference, there there are not very many in the elite base just yet, but it's going to be going up, and we are going to be selecting a topic from the elite base not today, but next week. So how do you get in the elite base? You join our Patreon, no biggie. Uh, we've got three tiers, you guys. What we've, tier? We've got the ghosty tier, who gets to listen to all of our bonus content and then we've got the ogopogo and the chupi tier and if you're an ogopogo or chupi you can actually submit topics for the bonus patreon vase oh yeah and so it's got less competition so if there's a topic that you really want to hear by all means you guys join that pate and send it in and i'll throw it into the plate <laughs> It's not a plate, though. It's a vase. No, it's a vase. It's a vase. But it's I needed to rhyme. It was a good rhyme. It was a good try. I tried. Alex, listen, Alex is the one in the family that rhymes because on the Monsters vs. Men podcast that mm, he does, yeah. they rhyme every single episode. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, so yeah, our Patreon's live. Also, I ordered some new samples for our merch and I'm just waiting for them to come in, but it's coming, you guys. Yeah, that's about all I have. Hmm. Yeah, try and get that top tier merch for 
our listeners. For all you lovely, we don't want we don't want people buying smugged, smugged, smugged. Smug. That's that's short for smudged mugs. <laughs> that's really hard to say. Say it. Sm- I don't even want to try. <laughs> James, give it a shot. Smudged, <laughs> smudged mugs. Wasn't smudged that hard? Mugs. Okay. <laughs> I thought you wanted me to make a portmanteau out of it. I was like, "What?" I was like, "Ants." <laughs> Whatever excuse you need to sleep at night, James. Mm. <laughs> Do you guys want to like say hello to all of our listeners around the globe? Yes. Give our hearty hellos out. Okay, so you guys, this week our hearty hellos are going to everybody in the Northwest Territories in Canada. Ooh. Yeah, we got got some listeners there. Uh, the Netherlands, they've been listening for a while, but it's, there's been a big uptick in the Netherlands lately, Ooh. so we want to give you all a round of applause. Thank you for listening. Go. And then here in the United States of America, we're saying hello to everybody in Indiana. Oh. Yeah, I feel like Indiana's gotten a shout out in the past, but that's where my finger went when I selected it from. Oh, that. your finger's good enough, but mine's not anymore. No. Listen, every time you, you either pick... Texas or California every time. <laughs> We've got to spread the love. We love California and Texas, but also there are like, you know, 48 other states that I was really hoping you would get that number <laughs> I didn't, and I'm proud of myself. Okay, so yeah, I think that that's all, that's all the announcements that I have. What about our icebreaker? What is our icebreaker today? I don't know because how do you pull an icebreaker out of the Vatican books? If you could be any um, Vatican. No. <laughs> <laughs> You could be if, a pope. Yeah, if you could be a pope, which one would you be? <laughs> um, well, here's a fun one. Okay, uh, you know the pope. It's it's his city. Like he doesn't have a country, but the Vatican is like an autonomous city. So if you could control any city in the world, and it would just be yours, it wouldn't belong to the country that it would ordinarily be associated with. It would just be your mm. city. What city would it be? Jeez, that, that's a that's uh, a good one. I'm impressed. I just came up with that on the fly too. Like, 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 but the thing is, Vatican C is a pretty good one because there's a lot of money in there. Oh right? yeah, there is, and it's very small. It's like it's like I think a hundred something acres, two hundred acres. But it's like adorned with gold everywhere. Yeah. It's beautiful. Oh, you get your own troops you could, too. Because like I'm thinking. Mm. <laughs> what city could I sell and get the most money out? Of? <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's, <laughs> get quick rich scheme. Oh, <laughs> if you own a out. city, you don't need to worry about money. You have power. Oh, you're right. I could extort people for money. Yeah. Alex, what's it? <laughs> oh my gosh. Power doesn't pay the bills. <laughs> power doesn't pay the power. Unless you're a power provider. Mm. Oh, you know, I got to think on this one. Cece, I'm sure you had a city come straight to your mind. Well, the first thing that came to my mind was Paris, just because it's gorgeous mm. and it's got the Eiffel Tower. It's just so pretty, you know what I mean? There's so many, so many great photo ops in Paris. The photographer in me is just like, I want to go there. But then also at the same time, I don't know if I would want to live in Paris. Yeah. So well, you like crepes, and apparently they I they think love crepes. Yeah, but they think that crepes are like trash food. They do. They. <laughs> I was told that by a French person. Yes, by <laughs> by a French woman that crepes are considered trash food. It's like when you when you make a crepe or a galette, you just take whatever you have in your fridge that's about to expire and throw it into, you know, the little crepe thing. Yeah. Still, it doesn't matter. I love crepes. That's one person's opinion, though, in an entire country. So 
I would probably pick Paris <laughs> just because it's so pretty and it's got so much history. Think about how much you could sell that Eiffel Tower for. I wouldn't sell the Eiffel Tower. <laughs> I would put lights on it and say it's gorgeous. You're right. I think that Eiffel Tower was in a Rush Hour movie. <laughs> or that may have been the one in Vegas. I can't remember. Oh, my God. <laughs> James, what about you? Alex would. Alex selected Vatican City so he could sell it. <laughs> I selected <laughs> Paris what so I could take <laughs> pictures. And then, James, what would uh, what would you pick? Well, yeah, Alex is all about the money. I'm all about the power here. Um, Bern, Switzerland. It's so well fortified, and it's almost impossible to invade Switzerland. So it would be a perfect place to acquire resources and power and then use that as a springboard to invade other places. Hmm. James, what the? You guys in your answers, you guys got some dark answers. Yeah. James huh? wants to invade. Conquest. Mine's not dark. I'm just selling it. To the highest bidder. <laughs> oh Until I invade. <laughs> oh, All man. right, you guys. I think I think this is it for this icebreaker. <laughs> I don't know how we can go on much longer. It's time to talk about the Vatican books. Yeah. Yes. And I have no idea what order we're going in. I'll today. just go first. <laughs> I went last last week. I'm going go first this week. Well, James, do you want to give another little brief this is what the Vatican books and the, sure. the Vatican archive is. Sure, yeah. The Vatican secret archives have relics, books, and a number of other things of religious and historical significance, and very few people are permitted entry. Very, very few people, which as a result means that there's a lot of theories as to what might be there. A lot of theories. Hmm. Eh. Interesting. Well, Cece, are you covering like a history or? I am going to be talking because the the Vatican has released some of the documents mm. that are in there. So I'm going to be talking about the historically significant <clears throat> items that are in there because the Vatican. Maybe you should go and go. Archives. Well, let's let you go first. Okay. Yeah. The Vatican archives has a lot of just documents that belong to popes or popes correspondence. Basically anything. Imagine that getting a letter is. from the Pope in this day and age. You open your mailbox and it's like from the Pope. I would poop my pants if Pope Francis sent me something. The, the stamp is just a little Pope hat. <laughs> a wax seal of the Pope hat. No, I um, I remember when I was working in news, it was when the switch for the Pope switch was coming. Mm. And overnight, like I worked the overnight shift. So it was daytime when my shift was starting to near its end each day in Vatican City. And we would just sit and I was fixated at watching the screen because they like light the smoke come out of like the chimney to say whether or not they'd selected a new pope. So that was really exciting, you guys. Wow. <laughs> Waiting for the new pope to be selected. But uh, while most people think that the Vatican archives are secret, there's actually that that's not the case. And I know that James mentioned that there's a lot of like ooh theories about what's going on there, but um, it's actually it's called the Archivum Secretum, which makes it sound like it's a secret archives, but it actually translates closer to private archive, which is a little different than being a secret. And accredited scholars are able to peruse the shelves, kind of. <laughs> they actually can't. They can't really go in and actually take things down, but they can only request three folders a day to look in, and that's it. And so it's kind of like hit or miss when you go in there. Like you could say, I want this folder, this folder, this folder. And then you get it, and it's written in some language that you're like, I can't translate that. I, I can't do anything with this. You know what I mean? That's why you hold your – that's why you turn on Google Translate on your phone and you hover it over. Mm. Um, it just translates it. That, maybe that would work. But it wouldn't work on Android. It wouldn't work Everything on Coptic script. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, there's a, there's a lot of stuff in the archive. There are over 50 miles of shelving in this archive. So yeah, can you imagine that. being like, I only want, there's 50 miles of shelving in here, but I can only take three folders down a day. Mm-hmm. So just, it is, it's really hit or miss. Now I'm picturing Alex in charge of Vatican City, just putting all those books on eBay. <laughs> <laughs> he would do it too. Um, but for, I would sell mystery boxes. You wouldn't even know what's going to be. In. <laughs> Flipping be really holy loot boxes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Oh, for the longest time, it was really secret. But then, I think it was like in 2012 or something, to celebrate the archive's 400-year anniversary. Alex, you've you've really got him laughing, James. <laughs> <laughs> but for the 400th year anniversary of the archive, because um, it was opened in 1612, the Vatican ended up sharing 100 archive items for public viewing in Rome. And I found a really great little article written by a girl named Hannah Kieser on mentalfloss.com that went over some of the highlights of the exhibit, including, but not limited to. So I'm going to list off some of my favorite, all 100. I'm going to list off all 100. (laughs) Just kidding. The ones that are of note. Okay. So the first one I'll talk about, it's a petition asking Pope Clement. Oh gosh, I forgot. I was going to look up what the little... Uh, Roman numerals are. <laughs> oh, do you want me to look I at it? I can't read Roman numerals. You want me to look at it? Seven. That's a seven. It's a seven. It's a V, it's a v and two I's. It's a seven. <laughs> I was thinking it was going to be like, you know, LCM or something. I didn't think it was. No, no. It's the ones on the clock. <laughs> listen, listen. <laughs> I don't have a clock with Roman numerals, and the public school system totally failed me when it came to history and also Roman numerals. Okay. Mm. So Pope Clement VII, duh. Um, <laughs> it's a petition to him to, <laughs> to annul King Henry VIII's marriage to Catherine of Aragon. Ah, uh, yes. So, yeah, if you'll remember, and this was another thing that like doing this research just made me really depressed about was that I really <laughs> – I really did get screwed over by the public school system when it came to <laughs> history because I'm like, who are these people? Oh, oh yeah. Man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. James, don't judge You need me. to watch the Tudors. I haven't watched the Tudors. Clearly, CC has never had a tutor. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I scraped by. I got out of there. That's all that matters. And I had a 4.0 in college. I was saying okay? you had a 4.0 in college. Yeah. So, anyways. This is the thing. I'm really good at studying for a test. And then after that, it's gone. So anyways, uh, Henry, he was married to Catherine, who couldn't provide him with a little baby boy to become the heir to the throne. So Henry is all like, well, maybe I can just marry Anne Boleyn instead, and she'll give me a baby boy. But not so fast. Um, Divorce within the Catholic Church was a big heckin' no at the time. So in 1530, 81 English clergymen and lords, they all came together to write out this plea to the Pope asking, and it's not even really asking, it's more so demanding him to annul the marriage because it was obviously not working out. Like they need, we need an heir. And Catherine of Aragon just ain't doing the trick. So you need to annul this. And they even went as far as to threaten the Pope by saying, quote, a refusal of annulment would require recourse to extreme measures for the good of the kingdom, which we would not hesitate to take. (laughs) And Pope Clement was like, you know what? No, no one talks to me like that. Annulment refused. And boom, so was born the Church of England. And you know the phrase red tape? 
Like, oh, yeah. this deal has a lot of red tape with it. Well, they actually think that that might come from this specific document in the archives because many of the seals of the people who signed it were attached to the paper with a red ribbon. Oh, So they think that maybe that phrase came from this specific document. Huh. Um, so another document in the archive that's really cool, it's a paper regarding the trial of my man Galileo. Oh. I did learn about him in high school. <laughs> but in case you haven't, he's a renowned astronomer and physicist, that yeah. Galileo. And way back in the day, he was a proponent of the idea that the universe is heliocentric. So like the earth isn't at the center of the universe and the sun is and we revolve around that. And when I say he was a proponent of the theory, I mean he was like secretly a proponent. Because at the time, the Catholic Church was like, no, the earth is the center of the universe. And anyone who says otherwise will be publicly persecuted. Right. So poor Galileo, he got a little slap on his wrist the first time he just kind of like floated the idea in 1616. And his defense was, oh, you know, it's a thought experiment. I don't actually believe it. It's just <laughs> like an idea. And then in 1633, he was put back under investigation by Pope Urban VIII, that's, I think that's the eighth, he found him guilty of heresy for perpetuating the idea that the sun is the center of the universe. Hmm. And so he, Galileo was given life in prison, but he was already wicked old for the times and he was in pretty poor health. So instead of having to sit in jail, they let him serve it as under house arrest. And it wasn't until 300 years later that the Catholic Church agreed that they might have been a little wrong <laughs> about the, the universe, and they cleared his name. But it took 300 years before they said, okay, fine, he didn't commit heresy. Was he dead yet? Oh, he was <laughs> He was long. He died in house arrest. But he lived for like eight years under house arrest. Okay, next document. Uh, the oldest document in the archive. And it's not really that like crazy, but it's from uh, 809. CE, and it's just a record of a donation made to a church in Venice. But that's an old piece of paper to be sitting <laughs> in an archive. That is an old piece of paper. Um, there's also a blueprint. This one was really cool for a Brazilian priest's idea for a flying machine, which it's like, how does that end up in the Vatican archives? <laughs> but it's really cool and bizarre looking. It looks like something that kind of would have been thought up in the late 1600s. You know that really cool kind of like art art style where it just looks really old? Yeah. Yeah. That needs to be a, a style of things. Like, uh, what would you call that? Like Da Vinci punk or something. That's kind of, that's a perfect description of what this specific piece of art looks like. But um, Bartholomew Lorenco de Guzmao, I think that's how you say his name. He spent a considerable amount of his life trying to figure out how objects could float in the air. And mm. it, it all of his research had to do with density. And he designed this amazing flying machine, though it was never actually built because it looks insane. But it was called a passerola, and it looks like a giant inflated bird. And it actually reminded me, Alex, of the Bodhi float from True in the Magic Kingdom. It just has, like, a bird head on it. <laughs> oh, my God. I looked it up. I looked it up. This is like an acid trip. Like, it's, it does, yeah. You, what? The, the Bodhi float. I love it. It's called the passerola, and it's like I really want one now. I would have loved to fly through the air in one of those things. He just basically drew a bird with a guy standing on top of it. Oh, my goodness. Hey, don't speak poorly of Bartholomew. He makes me happy. Okay. So also in the archives, there are two letters between Pope Pius IX and Abraham Lincoln and Confederate President Jefferson Davis. 
And the letters were sent during the middle of the Civil War, but Abraham Lincoln kept it purely professional. He's purely business. And he didn't mention the war at all, but requested that the Pope accept a man named Rufus King as U.S. representation for the Vatican. Mm -hmm. But Davis, on the other hand, he outlined everything that was going on. And the Pope actually addressed Davis as president of the Confederate States of America. And Robert E. Lee apparently said that he thinks that this may have been one of the only world leaders to actually recognize the Confederacy. So I thought that that was pretty interesting. And that's in the archives. Interesting. Yeah, I've got three more, you guys. The next three are like my favorite. These are the ones that people see and go, ooh, ah, over. And the first is an edict from Pope Leo X. That's, that's what that is, right? Or is that five? Where? Right here. Boop. Yeah, 10. The 10th. Mm-hmm. Um, that excommunicated Martin Luther from the Catholic Church. And if you'll remember back in your history class in high school, which I didn't and I had to look into it, Luther wrote this book condemning the Catholic Church. And he was all like, the Catholic Church has got it all wrong and they are corrupt as hell. And the church was like, how dare you, sir? And they gave him 60 days to recant, but he obviously didn't. And boom, that basically spurred the Reformation and gave the rise to Protestantism. Yep. (laughs) Then we've got transcripts from the trial of the Knights Templar. And I really Mm. didn't know much about the Knights Templar before this episode, but they were an elite army that just got a bit too big for their britches during the Crusades. And for a very long time, they were just this wealthy, privileged group of people who were kind of above the law. They kind of like were the law, if mm-hmm. that makes sense. Yeah. Um, but in 1307, Philip the the Fourth. <laughs> Cece, show me again. Very good, Cece. The Fourth of <laughs> France was like, listen, these guys are a liability. I want no more of it. But also, it's alleged that they refused to give Philip some loans. So, like, that might have been a factor here. Yeah, anyway, I'm more inclined to think that the Vatican just wanted all that money that they had. <laughs> they had a lot of money all over the place. It was, like, everywhere. Um, and there's a lot, of, a lot of it that, like, is completely unaccounted for. So, Philip had them all arrested and charged with heresy, devil worshipping, homosexuality, etc. And they were all false charges. Yep. Um, but they were tortured for a very long time and when they confessed because they're like you know being tortured they're like fine we did it whatever like stop torturing us then they were they were executed yeah burned at the stake and pope clement disbanded the group because philip kept pressuring him on it but according to the transcripts it actually was revealed that the pope actually initially intended to pardon the knights before he eventually condemned them under pressure Mm. And the church has since acknowledged that the condemnation was actually unjustified. And some believe that the Knights Templar didn't actually really disband. They just kind of went into hiding, which I would think they probably would. And that there might still be some out there today. Mm. So who knows? And then the last one, last but not least, I'll just make mention of the letter from Mary, Queen of Scots. And this is the one that everyone's like, woo. Um, But she sent a letter to Pope Sixtus the Fifth. From jail. Where is it? I'm upside down. Where? Point to it. It's a V. Five. Yep. Yeah. And she's basically pleading for her life because she knew that she had she had the chop chop coming for her. Ex- execution. And she told Sixtus, you know, she said, I'm a devout Catholic. I'm filled with faith. Please forgive me for my sins. And by the way, my wicked cousin Elizabeth 
and the English people are treating me like poo. And the group that condemned me wasn't even a legitimate group. They couldn't couldn't actually condemn me. And Sixtus, he didn't actually do anything when he received this. So she she just was executed a couple months later, huh. um, having been considered a threat to the English throne. Ooh. And so those are some of the most memorable items that we are aware of that are within the archive. Mm. Um, Cause again, the there are 50 miles worth of shelves in here and the Vatican has only really officially released 100 documents for public viewing. So Golly. yeah, Lord knows what else is in there. Mm, I have a theory. You have a theory or Tell maybe some that. other people have a theory about okay. what one of them would be. Oh, do you mean like, so many, <laughs> so many of you, you know, Many of our listeners have probably listened or seen or read the book, the film, the audiobook, The Da Vinci Code by Dan Brown. I have. Yep, I've read it and I've seen it. I, I haven't listened it. to it yet, though. So I, maybe it's a different experience. I read it in a car while my brother played hockey. I read it in eighth grade and did spark notes for the back half of it. <laughs> um, <laughs> so the book. Actually, I think I finished it. Um, it's a good book. The the book caused actually like you know quite a fervor. I don't know if you all remember when it was released because the church just didn't think its followers were smart enough to tell truth from fiction. Yeah. Uh, and it's a it's actually you know it's a pretty good book. Yeah, <laughs> and even the movie it's it's not bad either. Um, but <laughs> anyway, a big part of the story is that Da Vinci leaves a trail of breadcrumbs that was revealing the secret. A secret that Jesus and Mary Magdalene actually got married and they had kids and they had a pervading bloodline that goes all the way up to modernity. Yeah. The book and Dan Brown, they were just completely lambasted at quite a bit. And eventually it, it all subsided. Everyone chilled out. Everyone got sued. Dan Brown and Ransom uh, Ransom House won. Random House, not Ransom House. <laughs> Ransom House. Random House. <laughs> Now, the question really is, though, is anything that he said in it true? Because Dan Brown claims that, at least at the beginning of the book, that some of it's true. A lot of the facts and stuff are true, just the overall story isn't true. Yeah, yeah, the and, facts he stole. That's why he got sued. Holy well, he, grail. Yeah, he, well, he got sued for a few things. But but he, well, he, yeah. missed, he, missed <laughs> the, he missed the mark on a bunch of historical stuff. Like, he overshot numbers of how many people were burned at the stake. He said, like, 5 million. It was only. only. It was 30,000, 30 <laughs> to 50,000 people Lord. that got burned by the stake uh, as witches. Hmm. But he claimed 5 million in the book. That's a lot. So, you know, there, there's some discrepancies like that. So, is it true or not? Like, well, like, what is right in the book and what is not? Well, yes and no, or rather, yes, depending on who you ask. Um, <laughs> and if you ask Barry Wilson, a researcher at York University in Canada, and a documentary, uh, or documentarian, Simcha Jokobovici, uh, then the answer is a resounding yes. So they, they say it's true? They say it's true. They say that, that they found a document in the British Library that, well, uh, I'll just go ahead and quote Barry Wilson. He says, there is now evidence that Jesus was married to Mary the Magdalene and that they had children together. Ellipses. Gathering dust in the British Library is a document that takes us into the missing years of Jesus' life, life. Ellipses. According to the document that, was, that we uncovered sometime during the period he became engaged, got married, had sexual relations, and produced children. 
before anyone gets his, her theological backup. Keep in mind that we are not attacking anyone's theology. We are reporting on text. Hmm. That's what he said. Now, he sounds pretty certain about the document. And he sounds certain that it is accurate. Now, this document is apparently purchased by the British Museum in 1847. And it was actually written on treated animal skin. Now, as far as I could tell, I couldn't find anything to, that was like carbon dating this document. So <laughs> the age is uncertain as far as I can tell. I this document was looked at by scholars at the time and pretty much dismissed. Years later, these two come across it and decided that it's actually very important. The document, however, has some oddities that require you to interpret it in certain ways for it to maybe fit this Da Vinci Code narrative. And that's Jesus and Mary Magdalene. Their names. The names in the document are Joseph and Eseneth. Okay, so how did they jump from that to Jesus and Mary Magdalene? Because some of the story is actually very similar to Jesus's, and in particular, Jesus's resurrection uh, is very similar. And there's some other congruencies between the stories that line up, but they really need quite a bit of fudging. Like, even in this story, Joseph becomes a kind of king, but not quite the king that Jesus is. And so, yes, there's some congruencies, but it's kind of like you might be stretching there, but I'm surprised they haven't carbon dated that. Like, and this is another thing when it comes to documents like that is how do we know that whoever was writing it was writing something that was like real and not just like, oh, I'm going to write a story. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I would assume that some people have looked at it and verified maybe it's oldness, it's age or something, because in 1847, they paid for it. Yeah, right. yeah, that's true. Yeah, so, so someone's looked at it and been like, okay, this is worth something. But then all the scholars looked at it and go, nah. No. <laughs> nah. So everything I found on this is a complete rejection of this hypothesis. However, most scholars, like, they're yeah, they're outright dismissing it, outright baseless, and just all around not down for this thing. They're even mm-hmm. alleged, like, I was looking into this theory of Jesus's offspring. Mm-hmm. And there's like even these alleged shadowy organizations that have released documents of all like 230 of Jesus's descendants. Um, but as far as I can tell, it's pretty iffy. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. like there's some articles written on it and it, it, it's really iffy. Um, I did find some weird retreats online. If anyone's interested where you can go and meet, the daughter of Jesus? The daughter of Jesus. Not like a great-granddaughter. A- this is the daughter of Jesus. Oh, oh wow. Um, her name is Sarah, but it's spelled weird. It's like S apostrophe H-A-H. Okay. Um, and it, she's this like 30-year-old white girl with blonde curly hair. And it's probably a one-way ticket to drinking some Kool-Aid. Oh my gosh, Alex! <laughs> just saying, <laughs> to be it's fair, a little. I think you're probably right on there. <laughs> oh man! I'm just saying, it's an island retreat. It's just very odd. <laughs> the whole mm. thing is weird. Would not go to that. There's a few websites dedicated to it. Her name is varies between being a normal Sarah spelling and a different Sarah spelling. But mm. this lady, she says that she 
since she was born that she's been able to feel the vibrations of the earth. She like kind of perceives the universe in a completely different way because she is the daughter of Jesus as she claims to be. And she even has these. You spend a lot of time on this woman's website, Alex. Well, <clears throat> it didn't take that much to discern the Kool-Aid portion of this thing. Now she does claim to have these and i didn't go down this rabbit hole because it was it was getting very very deep but she claims to have the holy grail ascension codes which seems to be like this weird really weird like apparently it involves the council of light and it just gets it gets crazy i'm not i didn't get i didn't get too far into it it was it it was a rabbit hole maybe i'll do it for another episode i just imagine alex like coming upstairs one day and being like oh my gosh cc i was actually reading this in the doctor's office i was like (laughs) i feel really weird right now (laughs) um (laughs) so as for the da vinci code though well there may have actually been one of sorts yeah uh, and maybe it wasn't really so much of a hidden message left by Da Vinci, but more of this like tracing by scientists of his scientific roots because he often cited where he got some of his ideas and that type of thing. And this man named Pierre uh, Duham in the 1950s made some like shocking revelations, and these revelations had nothing to do with Jesus, but rather science. And the origins of some of our science practices. For instance, he discovered that Galileo didn't come up with those ideas first. Actually, Da Vinci was referencing someone that had the ideas 300 years earlier. I could see it. Not only that, uh, Newton. Yeah. uh, Newton's law of gravity. Uh, People were figuring that out with heavy-duty crossbows long before he did. And people were studying it hundreds and hundreds of years. I'm not surprised. Now, why did that go missing? For so long. Why is that decided that those are those things are no longer exist existed until like Galileo Newton came along? Very odd. And mm-hmm. I wonder but the thing is, a lot of the people that are claimed to have discovered these things were part of the church. And they were and th- this was like the church was pushing science. And so like why did these things go missing? It's not like they hit it. The church right? was Unless, pushing science, but only if hmm. it matched what the church believed. I don't know. The Big Bang was uh, discovered or theorized by a priest initially. See, there's a lot of a lot of scientific discoveries are by religious people, yeah, people involved in theology and that type of thing. And it's just it's really interesting that those things get pushed aside, and then we have like something like Galileo, who was persecuted for it by the church years later. And I wonder if maybe like the people who were discovering it didn't match what the Mm -hmm. church. It or seems the like they were freely studying from what I was reading. I don't know that much about that era, but uh, just really baffling. But the bad thing is, is Pierre Duham, he, had, he was considered a person, a persona non grata. And so he had all cre- credibility destroyed. And then when he died, his daughter was devastated because she saw the value in his work. And she worked for 38 years to get his works finished and published. Man. Yeah. Was a- yeah. Yeah, he he got thirty five or something, thirty five volumes of his work published by himself uh, through various means. Like he was having to pull every string imaginable, and she was able to get the final Man. few volumes out. But yeah, it it was a struggle for her to really get all of it done. Well, that's the Da Vinci Code aspect. That's yeah. a lot. Yeah, James, what are you talking about? 
I am talking about other theories as to what the Vatican archives hold. Some of these are actually very reasonable and probably true, and some of these are insane. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, one of the weirdest ones, uh, it's a theory that uh, the Vatican archives are actually the largest collection of pornography. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That, you know what? That would actually make sense. Well, um, <laughs> it's pretty much confirmed, actually. Um, Copenhagen's Museum Erotica informs people that this is absolutely true. So, yeah. Huh. Yeah, is it because and, they like they collected it from other people and they put it in their... I'm assuming that it had historical <clears throat> significance. I mean, you got to remember, we're talking about people drawing things. So I think pornography and writing things, I think pornography is a bit of a loose term compared to the modern interpretation. Yeah. Interesting. Um, Another really interesting one, one that I think is a little less likely is uh, Jesus. Uh, As in he's there, just there. (laughs) That's one of the ones you were saying was most likely true. (laughs) (laughs) No, I think that one's a little out there. Um, And one of my favorite arguments about this conspiracy theory or pieces of evidence that people claim is that St. Paul and Emperor Nero wrote to one another about Jesus uh, still being on earth and having descendants like what Alex was talking about. Um, anybody with a, a, a third grade familiarity with Nero would not assume that he and Paul were writing letters to each other. Uh, no, it simply did not t- take place. Um, one, of, one of the most interesting ones, though, is, uh, well, in 1917, a group of Portuguese kids had a vision of the Virgin Mary, and they claim that they saw how the world ends, the the actual our apocalypse. Oh, my gosh. And, yeah, and they also claimed that there was a secret uh, text showcasing how this would happen and that it's in the Vatican archives. Hmm. So what's interesting about that is the Vatican actually released information on that in 2000 and it doesn't really, it's kind of, you know, I hate the term, but it, it seems like a nothing burger. So, Hmm. yeah. And of course there are people who say that the Illuminati are really controlling the Vatican and that there's evidence for that, which, you know, who cares? Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, but you know, you can tack Illuminati to anything and nobody ever backs it up with any information. I'm sorry. Just that that kills me. We could literally talk about Bigfoot and there's going to be some theory where it's like, Oh, Bigfoot. Yeah. He's president of the Illuminati. So, you know, um, but yeah, it's, it's possible. And well, even with the pornography one, like, like it's not a hundred percent confirmed, but we just know that a lot of really high known people claim that it's true. And that's, that's the real trick is as CC mentioned, a lot of scholars are let in, but scholars can have some crazy opinions more on that later. And so <laughs> a lot of these claims are actually by people who have absolutely been in the Vatican archives. It's just, some of the things that they say they saw. <laughs> um, and a great example would be aliens, both aliens and alien tech. Huh. And, yeah, no no firm evidence for it, but that's something that some well, people think. last Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> <Where is it? laughs> there we go. Um, 
One that I think actually it's feasible, and this is probably the most outlandish one that I would give credence to, but uh, some people claim that Vatican Archive actually has secret technology, whether that's from aliens or or just geniuses of the day, maybe Da Vinci, um, but they have access to technology that's well beyond what what anybody else would have had access to throughout history. And two arguments for that. I'm I'm very, very skeptical of this. I'm just saying it it has some level of credence just on this argument is, you know, two people in history have taken control over the Vatican via force, Napoleon and Hitler. Um, Under both instances, they all of a sudden had some really advanced war tech. So Uh there's that's an argument for that. Now, my my only problem there is if that's the case. You'd think that Napoleon would have had like World War II tech then, if that was yeah. the case. But in in both instances, people who took the Vatican all of a sudden had a big jump in their their tech. So you know, conceivable. But uh, one of the most bizarre ones, in my opinion, um, and and this ties in a little bit with Alex's about you know Jesus having uh, descendants, is a lot of that has to has an interpretation in Gnosticism. And the Gnostics are absolutely real. Um, They still exist, but they're largely underground because they have been persecuted for millennia by the conventional church for heresy. Tons of them. In fact, some of the the terms that we get, like bugger, uh, for example, comes from attempts to um, slander the Gnostics. So they absolutely did exist. And in many of these sects, they did believe that Jesus uh, survived on earth, either by not being murdered or by, you know, resurrecting and just sticking around and sired offspring. That is one component. Hmm. And another thing that we do know as a fact is that Jesus was originally what was called an Essene. And if you guys don't know, an Essene was a very peculiar sect of Judaism that just sort of spontaneously happened around the time of, of Jesus. And they had a lot of beliefs that were very, very divergent from conventional Judaism, but is very, very similar, very similar, too similar to Christianity. Well, it makes sense given the fact that Jesus was an Essene. Well, some people claim that there is a document called the Essene Gospel of Peace, and it was translated and edited by Edmund Bordeaux Zickley, and it's very interesting because one, he talks about Mother Earth, and he, he, he says a lot of things that are very new agey. Well, I can tell you easily, I'm not going to read this particular gospel, even though it is rather short, but it would also take quite a bit of time. Just look it up and read it for yourself. Um, yeah, this guy is shady as all get out. This guy, <laughs> everything about him and his beliefs before discovering and translating this document it's like huh what do you know you're a 20th century new agey guy and you discovered and just translated a 20th century sounding new agey sounding document that you claim was written by jesus (laughs) (laughs) so yeah a lot of really outlandish theories what I find most intriguing about the Vatican archives in, in light of all of these, these claims that, that are there is, is easily the fact that some of these more outlandish ones, 
they, they even they have sort of a possibility because it is a massive, massive archive. And it is riddled with things that are written in languages that are largely dead. And just the sheer scope and size of it, coupled with the fact that it is kind of hard to gain access and coupled with the fact that uh, the people who have gained access seem to be uh, claiming a lot of outlandish things. To me, that suggests that even if none of the things I mentioned are true, and some of those have been corroborated by many, many notable sources, even if those are not true, there's still a lot of remarkable things there that we have yet to even uncover, simply by, by virtue of the sheer scope and size of all the documents that are present. Well, they, they didn't even know that that Knights Templar thing was in there until somebody just happened to find it. Exactly. So, By the way, I have an unusual theory about that. Just kind of tack that on. Yeah. Um, they claim that they worshipped Baphomet, you know, the goat that's often associated with Satanism. What a lot of people don't know, and this isn't a perfect fact, but there's a lot of evidence that supports this, is that Baphomet is actually a bastardization of Mahomet, which is how medieval English folk pronounced Muhammad. So what I think is more likely, I do think they wanted their money and that was the chief argument, but I think they weren't actually accusing them of devil worship. I think they were accusing them of going bamboo. You know, these people oh. were sent to the Middle East and, and beyond in, in various Islamic nations to fight the Crusades. Well, what if they just went native? What if they ended up, you know, embracing the local religion? Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Huh. James, you and your you and your information, you always have at least one thing to say every episode. Where I'm just like, huh. <laughs> so yeah, cool, James. Yeah, I mean, I think that I think I read that, and I got really confused at this point. But I read that the documents have to be 75 years old before the public can see them, <sighs> and so it's like accredited scholars can go in there and see what they want, but. The document has to be at least 75 years old. I was confused because I initially thought uh, the accredited scholar has to be 75 years old, but no, that's that's not the case. <laughs> so anyways, wow. that This has been a really, really interesting episode, you guys. Great. Yeah. The the Vatican books. Thank you again to Dee Dee for sending that topic in. I think it's time to draw from the vase, Alex. Draw from the vase. All right, you guys. Next week... Oh, okay. Um, this one was submitted to us by Nick Yu, and he has asked us to talk about, quote unquote, dead people who might not actually be dead. Hey, hey. So, how yeah, long ago was that one given to you? A long time ago. This is an old <laughs> piece of paper. And he mentioned Hitler and Tupac. We have already kind of covered Hitler, so we won't do Hitler. But hmm. Tupac is up, up for grabs, you guys. So Nick <laughs> Yu, we used to get lots of topics from him. So thank you to Nick for sending this topic in. Is there anything you guys want to mention before we say who does our music? No, I'm good. All right, I'm good too. Who does our music, Alex? Our music is, is by Grant Cook. You can find his music on Amazon Music, Spotify, iTunes, YouTube Music, anywhere you listen to music. Anywhere you listen to music, you guys. And it is great music. So I, f- I guess until next time, you guys, we hope that you can keep, keep it, it straight.
I'm so tired. Oh my god, I'm so tired too.